Man, it's good to see everyone here. We're starting a new series today called Something to Believe in. And uh, we're going to be taking three weeks to really look at some different angles of belief. We're going to take uh, a very baseline view of what belief is today. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking specifically uh, about the key to what we believe here at City West. And then on August 5th, our third week, we're going to be celebrating people's belief through baptism. It's going to be a great time. If you're here for the first time, my name's Clayton. I'm the lead pastor here at City West. And one of the best parts uh, of my job here is getting to work with our incredible staff and actually seeing them live out the principles that we teach you guys week after week and that we're all trying to live out beside y'all. Our newest hire's name is Tony Marquez. He is our community pastor. Many of you have gotten to meet him or have seen him up on the screen over the weeks. Uh, When we hired Tony a few months ago, we moved his family here from Central Texas, and uh, at the time he took the job, his wife Caroline was approximately 17 and a half months pregnant. Like, I don't know exactly. (laughs) I adopted all my kids, so I don't really know how all that works, but very pregnant, and and we're friends, so I can say that. And it was very cool that they came. Even more incredible than that is uh, shortly before we actually offered him the job, they went in for a checkup and found out uh, that a part of their baby's intestines uh, were actually growing outside of the baby's body. And so it was a complication that was going to make you know, the, the birth more complicated. Uh, the baby was going to have to stay in the hospital for a period of time afterwards until they got things settled down. And, and they still took a step of faith. It felt like God was calling them to be a part of what was going on here at City West. They left their families, their hometown, the community to, to come here. And it's been so incredible for all of us on staff who work alongside Tony and who know Caroline to watch their faith and their resilience in the midst of a very anxious situation, a tense situation. They truly do believe that there is a God who is in control, who's looking out for them, and they've shown that faith every step of the way. And I'm very excited to let you know that on Monday, Zane Marquez came into the world, that his birth uh, was an incredible success, that he is blowing the doctor's minds. They believe that they're going to have everything back in its right place, possibly by tomorrow or at the latest Tuesday, which is way ahead of schedule, so they can do the surgery, get him on the path, to going home. So we're very excited for Tony and Caroline. Now, uh, today we are going to be talking about belief, this series called Something to Believe in. And uh, really, we're going to be unpacking the most important question you'll ever have to answer during your time on earth, which is, is there a God? The existence of God is something that people have debated back and forth since the beginning of time. And what's interesting to see as a trend specifically across our country is that there is a growing, a quickly growing number of people who consider themselves atheists. Now, there's this term new atheism or naturalism uh, where they're not necessarily atheist in the sense that they're really out there trying to prove anything. Uh, They're just burnt out. People are looking for something to believe in and it seems like everything keeps failing us, institutions, relationships, uh, all these different processes that the world offers. And so when they're asked, they just say they have no sense of spirituality. They don't believe in any kind of supreme being or deity. They just, they don't believe in God. And uh, really what they're looking for something is something that doesn't rely so much on faith. A lot of people's problem with Christianity and the belief in God is it just 
it feels like it's too simple to just have faith and to go with it. They want something more concrete. They want some facts. They'll turn to things like science to really try and prove out their point. And if you've been paying attention, especially over the last century, there's been this seeming tension between the scientific community and many people who uh, consider themselves atheists in it and the Christian community, which for those of us who are believers should strike us as odd. If we believe there's a God and he created everything and science is the process of slowly understanding all the things that we believe God created, they shouldn't be in contradiction with each other. They should actually be in affirmation of each other. But nevertheless, uh, the scientific community and the Christian community uh, has really been seen as things that are in tension with each other. And many of the people who consider themselves atheists and don't believe in the existence of any kind of God uh, they think there are just too many gaps in the Christian worldview. Uh, because inevitably, when someone goes to make their case for the existence of a God who is not physical in nature, who we cannot see, who we believe created the world that none of us were at when it was created, there are some gaps that come up. And, and atheism will claim that we just fill these gaps with Christian cliches. We just say, well, the Bible says it, and I believe it, and that settles it. Or we say, you know what, you just need to have more faith, or we'll just blame it on the mysteries of God. And they say, that's just not good enough. I, I just can't put my life based only on faith. And the problem with this argument and this reasoning is that anyone who has paid any attention to science knows that science has some gaps of its own. Science is based on hypothesis, what you think will happen, testing it through experience, experiments, and then setting a theory. And the reason that the results are called theories is because scientific fact is a term that should be held very, very loosely. Things have stood as scientific fact for hundreds and sometimes thousands of years, and then they are disproved in an instant of discovery. People believed that the world was flat for generations. People believed that the earth was the center of the universe and the sun was rotating around us. It was only a couple hundred years ago that doctors were prescribing people heroin for their headaches and talking about the health benefits of cigarettes. Science has its own gaps. And when scientists set out to disprove the existence of God, an invisible God who we believe created the world, that they also weren't at the creation. They have gaps of their own. And the reality is if we're being fair and we're being honest, whichever side of the argument you land on, whether you believe in the existence of God or whether you deny the existence of God, both sides of the argument require faith. They both have gaps and those gaps are filled with our hope and with our faith, with our best understanding. The same way that Christianity is putting their faith in the existence of God, atheism is putting their faith in science. And sometimes if you push an atheist far enough, they will admit that at some level there is faith involved in their reasoning. A recent example I saw of this is from a professor at New York University named Thomas Nagel, who's a self-proclaimed atheist. And in one of his books on atheism called The Last Word, he said, I want atheism to be true. I want atheism to be true. And I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. Now notice, 
He's not made uneasy because atheism is true, but because he wants it to be true. And at the same time, he looks around all of the different disciplines, historians and astrologers and people who study neurology and psychology. He looks at some of the greatest minds who wholeheartedly believe in the existence of God. He goes on in another part of the book to say, it isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I hope there is no God. This is the faith of atheism, the hope that there is no God. He says, I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. And while these may be shocking statements from a very well respected and renowned atheist philosopher of our time, uh, this is the kind of brutal honesty that I'm looking for us and from us today. The honesty to get very real about what we believe and what we're wanting out of this life. What I really respect about Professor Nagel is he has the intellectual honesty to show that there is faith involved, not only in believing in God, but that there's faith involved in not believing in God. And today we're gonna look at a very important distinction. We're gonna look at I don't believe it versus I don't want to believe it. If you notice over and over again, what Professor Nagel says is I don't want to believe. He says I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. I want atheism to be true. There's a world of difference between saying I don't believe in something and I don't want to believe in something. And if we're honest, when it comes to the question of the existence of God, there are very few people who simply don't believe. If you say that you truly don't believe, then the burden of proof falls on you. It means that you have looked at both sides of the argument from an unbiased standpoint, that you have done the research and you are now historically, biologically, philosophically convinced against the existence of God. And what I've seen over and over and observed throughout my years as a pastor is that people are not starting with the research, they are starting with their reality. They are not coming to an unbiased conclusion about the existence of God and then living in light of that. They are coming to what they want to believe about God based on their circumstances in life and then building a biased case to defend it. And I get it because life gets really hard. And maybe you lost the person who understood you and loved you more than anyone else and it doesn't seem fair and you don't know why God would allow that and you don't want to believe in a God like that. Or maybe you're depressed and you don't know why God would allow you to suffer in those ways. Maybe you look around at a world that is so divided, has so much hate and prejudice and racism and people are being marginalized to the fringes of society and morality is falling apart and there's so much suffering and death and you just don't want to believe that there's a God who would allow all of that to happen. Maybe you wholeheartedly bought into a representation of God that isn't actually 
biblical. Many people have fallen for the prosperity God or what I call the Oprah Winfrey God. And you just think, I'm going to go to church enough times and I'm going to sing loud enough and I'll memorize some verses and I'll pray in the morning. And then God will just be like, you get a car and you get a car. And then I'll fall in love and I'll meet the love of my life. And I'll go jump on Oprah God's couch and tell everyone how in love I am. And you buy the whole entire lie that if you just do the right things, your life will be easy and fully blessed with everything you could imagine. And a year later, you're broke and you're single and you're depressed. And the version of God you believed in that you can't actually find in scripture has let you down and you don't want to believe anymore. Most people who have walked away from the faith, it wasn't because they went out and built a case and then decided against God. It's because they decided against God and then built a case to back up that belief. You don't want to believe in God, and so you learn enough atheistic one-liners. You learn a little bit about naturalism. You learn a little bit about logic and how to win an argument. You know just enough to keep your overly religious family off your back whenever the subject of religion comes up, and you call it good. One of my favorite philosophers from the 17th century, a guy named Blaise Pascal, he said people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. People arrive at their beliefs not based on proof, but based on what they find attractive. And what he said in the 1600s couldn't ring truer today. As a society, we are not on a quest for truth. We are on a quest for happiness. Just give me a set of views, give me some beliefs and some values that lead to my happiness, and I'm all in. And if it doesn't make me happy anymore, then I'll change them up and I'll find the right combination to my own personal satisfaction. At the end of the day, I just want to be happy. We prioritize our happiness over even the truth. And maybe you're thinking, dude, you don't, you don't know me. You can't make that, maybe you're preaching to everyone else in here. I'm all about truth. I'm not in this for my own happiness. So I'd like to do a little uh, situational experiment. I just, I want you to think about the last few arguments that you were in, like big, heated arguments, ones that actually matter, that come to mind. Now I want you to think about the last argument that you were in where you were definitely wrong, like you're... You're going, you're making some points, they're making some points, and, and at some point in the argument, like they say something and it flips in your mind and you're like, oh crap, I'm, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely wrong. And, and so my guess is, because we are all warriors for the truth, we're not about our happiness, we wanna get to the bottom of what the real truth is. The truth is the priority in all of our lives, so at the moment in that argument you realize you were wrong, you conceded the point and ended the argument. Now, no, the truth uh, becomes irrelevant really quickly because what matters now is winning the argument. And we know we're wrong, so we have to dig our heels in even deeper because our only hope of winning at this point is that somehow our confidence will bend reality to our will. We don't care, we can get caught dead to rights. They'll Google it, we'll argue with Google. What does Google know, I don't care. We're out there for our happiness. We are not on a quest 
for truth. And this matters in your life. It'll matter in your relationships. A lot of people say, I don't believe in marriage anymore. It's just an ancient thing. It doesn't matter. The reality is it's not that you don't believe. That's not where you started. You don't want to believe because marriage didn't work out for your parents or your friend's parents or your grandparents. So you don't want to believe in marriage anymore. As pastors, we see this a lot as we're trying to get people to join with us to fund the work that God is doing through our places. And people say, I don't really believe in giving to the church. And the reality is, you haven't done the work to know if you believe in that or not. You don't want to believe. Because you've seen Creflo Dollar and Jesse DePlantis get up and say, God told me that y'all need to buy me a $60 million jet. You've seen the Crystal Cathedral. You've seen the abuse of power. You don't want to believe in giving anymore. And this will affect your life and it will have consequences anytime we prioritize our own happiness very subjectively over objective truth. It will lead us to hard places. But today, we're talking about the existence of God. We are talking about the single most important question you have to answer with eternal consequences during your time on planet Earth. And you have to consider whether simply not wanting to believe in God is good enough. Today I want to suggest that there are two primary reasons people don't want to believe in God. There are a lot of reasons. I've tried to categorize as many of them as I can into two primary reasons. And the first reason that people genuinely don't want to believe in God is because if there is a God, I am guilty. If there is a God, I, you, we are guilty. And guilt is definitely a hindrance to our happiness because I've got some pretty significant skeletons in the closet that are pretty big and pretty embarrassing. And I'm guessing that many of you do too. And we've screwed up along the way. And there's some things about ourselves that we don't really love. And sometimes we're prideful and we kind of deal with lust and we get really envious of people and we're a little bit greedy and we get selfish sometimes and prioritize ourselves over others. And we put people around us down because it makes us feel like we're up higher than them, and, and really, we don't want to feel guilt about all of these different areas of our life. If there is no God, then we can pass these things off as simple mistakes or just part of who we are. But if God does exist, it's a different story altogether. In Romans 3.23, it says, for everyone has sinned, everyone has sinned, and then it defines sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. God is perfect. He is righteous. He hates sin, and he cannot be in the presence of sinners. You see, if there is no God, there is no standard. What God introduces into the picture is an objective standard of what is right and what is wrong. If there is a God, then we don't just have a life full of mistakes. We have a life full of sin. It'd be very convenient if there were no God when we are living so short of his standard. Atheism is built on the foundation of objective or subjective morality, relative morality. What it says is that there is no definite right and there is no definite wrong. It's all about where you live and what time you live and what the, what's going on around you. Culture creates morality. It's not set as an objective 
measure. And this seems like kind of a cool idea because if morality is objective, then all of a sudden I can look at the things I'm doing that I'm not very proud of and I can feel a sense of relief because no one can really say whether it's right or it's wrong. But the problem with relative morality, subjective morality, is that it always works in the favor of those in power and it always works against those that are subject to that power and oftentimes with disastrous consequences. If everything's relative, if there's really not any right and wrong. For example, uh, uh, subjective morality worked great for the plantation owners, it worked out terribly for the slaves who made their money for them. Subjective morality worked out great. It helped the Nazi party sleep at night. It worked out really poorly for the millions of Jewish people who were sent to concentration camps and murdered. Subjective morality falls in on its own foundation. A lot of people want to, to push moral relativity and push it and push it, and all of that changes the moment you become a victim. The moment that you are wrong, the moment that you are abused or insulted or neglected or gossiped about or exploited, the moment you become a victim, you become very clear that there is some kind of objective right and some kind of objective wrong. Many of us have been avoiding faith. We don't wanna believe in God because if we do, we have to face our own guilt. We have to acknowledge that these mistakes in our life are actually sin and they have very real consequences. And this leads to the second primary reason that people don't want to believe in God. If there is a God, then I am guilty. And because I am guilty, I am accountable. You, we, are accountable. And if we don't like feeling guilty, we definitely don't like being held accountable. We wanna be the captain of our own ship, determine our own destiny. We don't like the idea that we have to give a report to some invisible entity about what goes on in our lives. We don't love accountability and as a culture, we're not very good at it. But we also know at some level that unaccountable people always, always, at some point make regretful decisions. People without accountability cannot thrive. How many people have kids in the room? Kids in the room? All right, how many of you have sent kids to grandma's, grandpa's house for the summer for a little while? Yeah, good, good. Right, be proud, it's okay. You, <laughs> it wasn't that you needed time away from your kids, you just wanted them to bond with grandparents, right? Okay, I'm with you, yeah, me too. Um, and it, you know, all of our kids are a little bit bad, um, but, but we, we work on them and we get some of the kinks out over time and, and we kind of get them to a place that we're proud of and, and they progress. And then they go spend a week with grandma and they come home and now they're like these little terrorists and you have no idea what happened to them. It's because they spent a week with no accountability, no boundaries. Grandma never said no to them. They got anything they wanted. And now they are full of regretful decisions. We see this in history. Anytime people have risen in power and were held without accountability, this tiny percent got richer and richer while the masses got poorer and poorer. People without accountability will always eventually make regretful decisions and these regretful decisions spiral us into shame. 
And so it's not as simple as it seems on the outset to just not want to believe in God. If there is a God, yes, we are guilty, not just mistakes, but very real sin. God has a righteous standard and we all fall short of it. And because we fall short, we are accountable. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin, the price of falling short of God's standard is death. The cost of our sins is our very life. If we are guilty, we are accountable. And the real problem is that if we admit there is a God, then at some level we have to submit to God. If we admit to God, we must submit to God. And if you're like me, you don't like the idea of of knowing and being aware of your guilt. You definitely don't like the idea of being held accountable for your actions, for all of your immature thoughtless mistakes, lustful, hateful thoughts, divisive, cruel words, guilty and accountable. And so we avoid truth when truth gets in the way of our immediate happiness. We want to be happy. And so the question is, as a culture with this reckless pursuit of happiness, is it working Are we happier as a culture? Is the world around us in this pursuit of happiness, is it getting better? And all of the statistics would say no. As the suicide rates continue to climb where people reach a a point of such insignificance and purposelessness that they take their own lives, for the first time the teen suicide rate has gone higher even than the adult population as marriages are falling apart still at 50% and the younger generations are just not getting married because they haven't seen it work out for anybody yet. Over and over again we see The signs that our pursuit of happiness isn't working. 25% of adult Americans are either on or have recently been on antidepressants. And so maybe there's more to seeking the truth than meets the eye. Perhaps the God that people don't want to believe in really does have a plan and really does have a purpose. You know, people don't like the side of God that is just, his justice We don't like this idea that God is righteous and cannot be around sin. He hates sin and must punish it. And so we are separated from God because of the things that we do in this life. We don't love that side of God. But if it isn't for the justice, we can never appreciate the love of God. Your sin falling so short over and over again and God's justice Create the platform for him to demonstrate his love for us in the greatest way possible. We can't appreciate the light unless we have seen the darkness. We can't appreciate the day unless we go into the night and we can't fully understand the love of God if we don't also fully appreciate his justice. In Romans 5, 8, it said, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were purposefully going against God's will for our life, when we were trying to do it on our own, to prop ourselves up in our pride, when we were trying to belittle others around us, to get a little bit higher, when we were having lustful thoughts, when we were cheating and backstabbing and addicted, when we were in the worst grip of sin. Jesus Christ left a perfect heaven, came down to a broken world, lived in poverty, and hung on a cross to pay for the wages of your sin. 
And so if there is a God, you are guilty. And because of that guilt, you are held accountable. But because there is a God, there is forgiveness. We all fall short of God's glorious, objective standard. But because there is a God, there is an opportunity to be forgiven and redeemed and restored. And because there's a God, there is relationship. The same God who created you and instilled inside of you purpose and calling and passion is now calling you into a relationship with himself where he can guide you to the center and the sweet spot of the purpose he put inside of you. Is it really good enough to live the rest of your life simply not wanting to believe? If you can just get by that, if you have struggled with faith and you can just get to the point of honesty today to say, you know, it really isn't that I don't believe. It truly is I don't want to believe. It's not about the research. It's about my reality. This isn't actually about God's existence. This is about my resistance. If you can get to that point, then you have cracked open the door to being a part of the story that God is writing that we call history. The question isn't who wants God. You catch anyone on the wrong day, they don't want God. It would be a little bit convenient if he didn't exist. We could feel better about the choices we're making. There have been seasons in my life where I've strayed so far and tried every single thing that the world has to offer. It would have been nice for me in that moment to not want God to be real. But that's not the question. It's not who wants God. It's who needs him. And the answer is everyone. I need God. I am guilty and I will be held accountable. But because there's God, I'm also forgiven and made right. I know you want to be happy, but when happiness comes at the expense of truth, it will be short-lived, it will be shallow, and it will sabotage the significant life you are meant to live. We must live for the truth, and Jesus said that that truth will set us free. Would you pray with me? God, we love you, and we thank you for loving us, demonstrating that love through your son, Jesus. Give us the courage to seek truth. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.